Amen. How are you today? Everybody said amen. amen. What a blessing it is to be with each and every one of you in God's presence. That's the promise that he's given to us. He said that if we would be about doing his business, that he would be with us through the end of the age. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. So he is Another, another passage says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, literally has five negatives in it. I will never, 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 in the Greek, five times he's saying. Five is the number of grace in the scripture. God's grace will never, his presence will never, his promises will never, ever leave you nor forsake you. Can I have an amen? amen. We're excited today. Hope you'll come and join us at one o'clock. Darren Johnson's the head of our cooking team, and he's here this morning, excited about jumping out there and bring the swimsuits for the kids. Uh, certainly adults can if you want to. I'm not planning on getting in. If somebody has the notion to throw me in, at least let me get rid of my watch and my phone, okay? So I'm just asking that out of grace today. <laughs> All right, um, if you would, we're going to do a review this morning. We've been in the middle of this series called Celebrate. Celebration, I believe, is a gift of God that we can rejoice. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord when I feel like it. Rejoice in the Lord uh, when the circumstances are right. Rejoice in the Lord uh, once in a while. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice literally is kind of joy as a do-over. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. In the 1970s, the charismatic movement came and Actually, the 60s is when that thing hit, and all of the scripture choruses that everybody else in the rest of the body of Christ began to sing actually came out of the movement of which we were a part. And uh, it was just a, an attempt to go back to the Psalter, P-S-A-L-T-E-R, the Psalms, which is the very middle of your Bible. It's the worship manual. If you hold your Bible up on the side like this, and you just peel it open in the middle, more than likely it's going to land in the book of Psalms. At the very heart of the Word of God is the manual for how we're to worship him. God is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. The scripture says, Blessed is the people that do know the joyful sound, for they shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. Now, we've preached three messages, and we're not going to go back and re-preach all of the details surrounding those, but in your notes, I have pulled two to three very quick principles. We're just going to fill in the blank. And then I'm asking you this morning, if you would please, uh, what our plans were, from our app series was that we got such an overwhelming response, calls, texts, Facebook messages, emails, uh, people saying, hey, listen, I really am getting so much out of this where the congregation has feedback and we ask questions and then whoever's answering, which happens to be me in this series, Pastor Alex is starting his series next Sunday on uh, the, the first book of uh, the epistle of Peter, five chapters, be preaching five Sundays on uh, his series is called Simon Says. Powerful truth in the book of 1 Peter. I'm excited about it. I will be here for most of those. We'll be vacationing uh, some during the month of July. And so just excited about what God is doing. Uh, last two weeks ago, baptized five. Last Sunday, we had five brand new first-time conversions along with 25 fresh starts. Just people, God is just doing some powerful things in the hearts of people here. Can I have an Amen. amen. And so I'm excited about that. His presence is here. And that's what it's all about. It's not about a new style of worship. I showed you one Sunday that, you know, we can, we can crank up the pipe organ and we can sing a 300-year-old hymn. 
We can crank up the Hammond and we can sing a fresh black gospel song that's just been written. We can, we can crank up the old, almost the barroom sounding kind of a piano and we can do a southern gospel quartet kind of a style. Really, all of that's immaterial. It's the condition of our individual hearts. Our, what are the intentions of our hearts? As we worship him, as we speak the word of the Lord in our lives and as we give our praise to him, he's promised that he would envelop us with his presence. So as we jump in tonight, or today, I'm sorry, celebrate number one, we talked about the purpose of celebration, really the purpose of praise and worship. That's what I'm equating in this series when we say celebration, we're talking about praise and worship, okay? Uh, We talked about the tabernacle of David. The ark of God had been lost in the battle to the Philistines, evil sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, had gone into the tabernacle of Moses at Shiloh and taken the ark of God out, taken it into the battle because every time it had worked that way before, that wherever the ark of God was, it was the container of or the representation of the presence of God in the earth. Now, the Israelites weren't worshiping a gold box, but they knew that box was representative of God's presence. Wherever the box was, the presence of God was. And so the two evil sons of of Eli went and got that. It got captured by the Philistines. And I've already preached that and told you how God actually destined that to happen. And it was a picture of Jesus who passively in his obedience gave himself to death. And three days went down into the bowels of Hades and took back the keys. Everything that Satan had stolen, Jesus went into the enemy's camp and he took back everything that belonged to us. He who is our heavenly David, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, after the the evil enemy had marched in, and all of those men who had walked with David for a number of years decided that they were going to get upset with David and stone him, the Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. You remember the story there. He went into the enemy's camp and he took back everything that the enemy and all of their wives and their children and all of their stuff got restored. That's what Jesus did in the bowels of hell. That's what happened when God allowed the ark to be captured by the Philistine army. And David, 40 years, the, 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 the Jerusalem, the capital city of the people of God, had been without the very presence of God. And he made a decision. He says, man, I, I can't take this. I have to have the presence of God in this city. There's no way that I can faithfully rule the people of God. There's no way that I can do all that God has called me to do if we don't have the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And so he has a desire to go and get it and capture it and bring it back. And because he did so, he set it up on a, a little hill called Zion and he put it out there in a tent and All of the religious trappings and the finery that was in the tabernacle, they're going through the motions over there, just like so much religion today, but it's void of the presence of God. There's no ark there. And then over here on this little hill in Jerusalem, a hill called Zion, David has just basically thrown away all of the requirements And he's basically said, you don't have to be born a Levitical priest, but even women and children can come. You just bow before the ark of God. And it's a picture of the old, the New Testament access into the presence of God, even while they were still in the old covenant. Because in Acts chapter 15, James stands up and he says, in the last days, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David and restore its ruins so that the remnant of all of mankind can come and seek the Lord. Everybody say, open access 
to the presence of God. You know what happened on, on Calvary when Jesus hung on the cross and he said, it's finished. The Bible says the veil was rent from top to bottom. It was an act of God and it ripped open uh, the separation, the veil that had separated. And now we have access, we have entrance. The way we enter is only by one living true way and that is by the blood of Jesus Christ. We talked about three things. Number one, it's not about former style, but it's about the presence of God. Everybody say the presence of God. Number two, it's a picture of the New Testament church, a life-giving atmosphere. A life-giving atmosphere. Louis Giglio is a great speaker who has affected this generation of youth in a dramatic way. And Chris Tomlin travels with Louis. And Louis preaches and Chris writes these awesome songs. He, he wrote the song that Scott led this morning, Our God is Greater. He wrote that amazing new anthem in this generation. How great is our God. Sing with me how great. Chris really is an anointed minstrel of God writing songs that are touching the hearts of this generation. And Louis, along with him, preaches some amazing te teaching, preaching, some great stuff that is touching, you know, multitudes of people. He tweeted this week. I follow him on Twitter. He said, worship is like a thermostat that sets the atmosphere to the temperature that God likes. That's what happens when we worship. Uh, we, we learn, and that's my third principle. God dwells in the praises of his people. Psalm 22, 3 says, for you alone are holy, O Lord, for you inhabit the praises of your people. The, the Hebrew word for inhabit means to dwell, to, to join, to sit down, to enthrone, to abide, to marry. All of those, uh, the, the Hebrew language is rich. It's pregnant with all of these multiple meanings. And so when you look at that Hebrew word right there where it says God inhabits the praises of his people, it carries every one of those meanings. When we begin to lift him up and praise him, God comes and he sits down. He enthrones. His throne is there. He begins to rule. It's a governmental place. You can't worship God and be filled freshly with his spirit this morning in the presence of God and actively be pursuing a pattern of sin in your life. God will speak to it. He will take a coal off his altar and he will begin to burn into your thinking the importance of walking as Jesus walked. Oh, you can, don't shout me down this morning. Come on, somebody. I know the crowd is little and, 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 and folks are out and all that kind of stuff, but come on, give, give God all that is due him today. It's not about encouraging the preacher. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness and give unto him the glory that is due his name. Come on, somebody. Worship is like a thermostat. It sets the atmosphere to the temperature that God likes. When I start to worship him, it changes my perspective. I see things differently. I don't see things on the barnyard as chicken little with the gloomy clouds of destruction and unbelief and doubt flying over me. But I begin to rise soaring like an eagle saint above the storm clouds and seeing things from the perspective which God sees them because praise take the P off. What's left when you say the word praise and take off P? What's left? You're raised up. You, you, the Bible says that it's by grace that we've been saved. Ephesians 2 verse 6 says we have been raised up together with him and seated with him in heavenly places. You're ruling with him. You're sitting down in the throne with him. It's by the righteous gift of God, the gift of righteousness that you are called to reign as a king in this life. You are not defeated. You are not going under. You're going over. You're not a victim. You're a victor. Number two, we talked about the pattern. My access to his presence is all based on the finished work of Christ. It's not about what I do. It's everything to do with what he did. 
Everybody say the finished work of Christ. You want to get God's attention? Principle number two, sang, baby. That's the way my mother says it. Ooh, she's anointed to sang. That's southern if you didn't know for sing. She can sang, honey. You want to get God's attention? Sing. The Bible says, come before his presence with singing. The message says, sing your way into his presence. Number three, the principle celebration is stamped with God's signature, a threefold pattern. We talked about thanksgiving, praise, and worship. I love Psalm 100 in the Message Bible because Eugene Peterson says, you enter his presence by the password, thank you. Isn't that good? In the middle of all the stuff that we're going through, if our focus is on what we don't have instead of thanking him for all of the amazing things that we do have, how many of you know you're just going to be frustrated the rest of your life because if you always focus on what you don't have, come on, somebody. What's that popular song on the radio? It's not, it's not getting what you want. It's wanting what you've got. Sometimes these, these folks who write secular songs have more prophetic insight than children of darkness are wiser than the children of light, Jesus said. Body, soul, worship. We, we, we get you in here and get you involved and make you move around a little bit, and it's to get your focus off of yourself. It's to begin to get, put the focus on God in thanksgiving. I'm thanking him for what he has done. In praise, I am praising him for who he is. But then I move into a place of worship. And in worship, I'm not even concerned about what I'm saying because I'm going to tell you something. I would much rather, this is another one that I put up on my Facebook this week. I tweeted this because it was such a great quote. It said this. It said, I would rather worship without words in my heart than to worship in my heart to have, to have my words without heart. I didn't say it right. Let me see if I can get the, the, the CD back on track up here. I would rather worship be in my heart without words than for my words to be without heart. Thank you, Holy Ghost. I got it right that time. Do you hear what I just said? I would rather worship in my heart be without words than for worship in my words to be without heart. It's all about right here because the ark has moved inside. Finally, last week we talked about the power of celebration. Powerful message in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. You should remember this, 2 Chronicles 2020. That's, that is 2020 vision right there. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. You want 2020 vision? Hear the prophetic word of the Lord. It can change your life. The whole of that verse says, believe God and you'll be established. Believe his prophets and so shall you succeed. You'll prosper. The response of Jehoshaphat when three enemy armies gathered against him was he, Jehoshaphat and Judah, gathered to begin to seek the Lord. Everybody say, seek the Lord. Basically called a national day of prayer. Didn't care what anybody else said. I, I read on the internet this week that a couple of governors in the nation, because of the state of the economy and just problems they're having in their individual states, in, in the face of political incorrectness, have basically issued a statewide day of prayer, prayer and fasting. You know what? There's a, there's a rise of that. Folks, folks are getting sick and tired of the mess that we're seeing and that we're having, and they're calling the believers of God to a place of seeking the face of God, humbling ourselves, getting on our faces. When we're desperate enough, we won't worry about what anybody else is thinking. We are willing. We are willing to look at the Word and see what it says and obey the Word of God. When we put a Bible principle into effect, we, when we sow a Bible principle, we will reap a Bible result every time. Because God's word does not return to him empty. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, 
but it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I, to I sent it. It shall accomplish the purpose for which it was spoken. They pray to prayer. Desperate prayers cause us to focus. Everybody say focus. We need some focus. You know what? Remember what Jehoshaphat said? He said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Hmm. I, I, I can almost see a brother on Beale Street saying, I ain't got no idea what to do. <laughs> but my eyes are on you. <laughs> I'm trying to wake y'all up this morning. <laughs> see, what you don't realize is I've got 32 tracks all running up here, and I'm just reaching out and grabbing different stuff. <laughs> The prophet stood up, Jehaziel, he basically said, this is not your battle, you don't even need to fight, you just go stand, I will show you the salvation of the Lord. That's the word of the Lord to you, congregation. Strategy was he put the praisers, went out in front of the army. Craziest, most ridiculous idea whatsoever. You know what, when you tell somebody we're going into battle, you don't hand them a trumpet or put a guitar in their hand. Or say, here, take this tambourine and shake it when the conductor, when the commander says, shout! Finally, the result was when they began to sing and praise. And the word of the Lord says that God set ambushments against them. Literally, they were self-slaughtered. Come on, Pastor Jeremy. Let's see if we got some tweets, if we got some texts this morning. So please take advantage of this time. We've talked about this series, a little bit of review today. If there's something about praise and worship or even if there's something else, I'm not afraid to veer a little bit outside of the subject matter if there's something that's just burning in your heart today. We're not going to be long. We're going to take about 15 minutes and see if we can't help in the discipline, the, the discipling process. Okay? What you got? I, I just got to say, I'm thanking God for this, this series. It has, man, this has been a phenomenal series to really expose some awesome, awesome biblical principles. And we do have a question, Pastor Mike. It said, I didn't grow up with all this free expression in worship. Do I have to do all of it? Yeah, or you can't come back next Sunday. <laughs> of course not. Um, you know, we all move from the place of our heritage, and every one of them are blessed. I'm not going to take time to call the role of the denominational list. Whatever your heritage is, God used that to bring you to where you are today, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful for mine. There are things that I have embraced. There are things that I have moved beyond. Uh, I had to, I spent probably uh, uh, compositely or totally 30 minutes trying to answer someone who'd come in. And when I said that my grandfather was a Pentecostal church of God and I don't do the things that they did. And I had to spend five emails explaining what I meant by that. So much of that had to do with style and tradition and, and how I received the Holy Spirit. And it's just a lot of stuff that had to do with the culture of the day. And it really was not grounded in the word. I do believe in the fullness of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and when people ask that to receive it, not as a matter of salvation, but as a matter of equipping and empowering, then, then God has honored that every time when we've prayed with someone. It's been phenomenal what the Lord has done. Uh, I'm thankful for my heritage. I don't, uh, just because the Bible talks about in three specific areas, and we listed this in number two in your notes on the pattern of celebration. We talked about the hands. The Bible says in Psalm 140, 134, Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the holy place and bless the Lord. Now, that's where we get that. It is a biblical uh, admonition. Not an admonition because that's warning. It's a, it's a biblical commandment. Psalm, um, 2 Timothy says, I would that men everywhere would lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. 
that they would pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So it's not only an Old Testament commandment, but it's a New Testament one as well. Uh, everybody of all the denominations expect you to sing. Now, you know, you can go in there and just not do anything. You know, this is, uh, this is kind of like uh, a class that you take in college or maybe even uh, algebra class in high school. You're going to get out of it what you put into it. And, and when you come ready to not just hold out your beggar's cup and say, God, I need, but you come ready to minister to the Lord first. If we come with an awareness of give, guess what? Give and it shall be what? Given. So when I come ready to give the Lord the glory that is due his name, in however way you're comfortable, and we don't judge your spirituality by how high you raise your hands or how loud you sing, if you're not comfortable in doing that, please, it, your spirituality is not judged on any of that stuff. But I guarantee you, if you keep coming, you'll enjoy the freedom that is here. And before you know it, and I love watching folks who come in and they're just, you know, it's like they're anchored down right here. There is a bolt, baby. It ain't happening. And before you know it, they just kind of sense the presence of the Lord and the love that's in this place. And, and you know, they kind of loosen up a little bit. And one Sunday, I'm, I'm looking around, and they're here. And the next Sunday, it's like, and they're just forgetting about what anybody else is thinking. So to answer your question is, no, you don't have to. You get to. It's a privilege. And you know what? You, you, everybody else, you don't have to do what everybody does. I think there's something powerful when we embrace a moment of unity and when the worship leader says, let's just all lift our hands and sing this with all of our hearts one more time. When that happens and that unity is when the Spirit of God just whoosh falls in this place. So I know I took three or four minutes to answer your question, which is no, but I want to tell you why. No, you don't have to. But, man, how amazing it is to be able to just enjoy that freedom of expression. Great question. Amen, amen. We actually had another one come in through text, too. It says, why is it that sometimes I'm overwhelmed by the presence of God and others, I'm wondering where he is? Well, that's a good one, too. Man, um, how many of you can relate to that? You know, sometimes it's just like, boom, out of the blue, whoosh, here it comes, and it's tangible. You can sense it. Let me just give you a, just a little caution. We're not ever to seek the experience of the goat hair feeling. Now, that's an allusion to uh, Jacob strapping goat skins on his arms so that when he went in to his father Israel, when he, I'm sorry, um, yes, Esau. Not, yeah, he was trying to, to, to show his dad when Jacob was trying to fool his father and make him believe that he was Esau, okay? He strapped some, some, some goat hair to his arms. And so the whole point is it's, it's not about trying to create a feeling because feelings are fleeting. And sometimes uh, you may not feel anything at all, and that's when you have to walk by faith. That's when you step out and trust that God, by his word, the promise is true. His word is forever settled in heaven, Psalm 119, verse 89. And let's just face it. God won't let this thing be reduced to a formula where you can go through the motions and do A, thank you, praise, worship, and, and think that we can boil this thing down to a little formula and then, okay, God, you got to show up and do what I need you to do. How many of you know that it doesn't work that way in your relationship with your spouse? How many of you know sometimes that communication is just, there, it, you're talking, you're dealing with a person, and, 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 you know, just because you do what the Bible says in, in the sense of if we make it a formula, then we've reduced, we've removed from God his personhood. 
Because God comes to you and he wants to experience you out of a heart desire and not just out of some kind of formula. See, this is what happens sometimes. This is what happened in the charismatic movement with the faith message. People have taken the concept that says, okay, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, you shall have them. And, And speak to the mountain, it shall be removed. Those are biblical principles. I preach them. But when I start thinking that God has to do whatever I want because I'm demanding it by faith, then I've just gotten totally out of whack. Because if I think that, then really I'm saying my faith is more powerful than God is. God is still God. God pays attention to my faith. But if I make it a formula, then I've lost the whole relationship. And I've, I've just taken a New Testament principle and I've made it religion all over again. Are you following me? Okay, so this is why you can just be driving down the road and you, you flip on a, a, a CD and you put in some worship and it's like God just decided to drop down out of the heavens and he got up in the car with you. How many of you have ever experienced that? I mean, just talking about it right now, I'm sensing. But how many of you know whether I sensed what I just did, just the presence of the Lord that just washed over me in a wave? How many of you know I know it's true whether I had that confirmation right then or not? So this, it's a step of faith. I reach out in faith. Now, this is what happens when a lot of times the presence of God comes in a congregation. It has not to do with the quality of the music. Because I'm going to tell you, let me tell, let me tell you something. I've heard some folks who didn't know but three chords and couldn't sing in tune most of the time. But they had the ability to bring the presence of God because they were a worshiper. And their heart was right before God. It is never about the program. It is never about, oh, we had a great service today. Everything was, the lights were perfect. The media, nobody was late and dragging the media. Everybody, the harmony was perfect. How many of you know you can go through all of those religious motions and still not have the ark in the house? The critical thing is, like Moses said in Exodus 33, if you're not going with us, we ain't going. Because we cannot go, possess this land, Tear down these walled cities and kill these giants if you don't go with us because it's, it's not possible. We can't touch the delta. We can't see this delta literally be enveloped by a, a spirit of revival and cultural transformation and reformation. What keeps me in the armpit of Arkansas? I'm just being real this morning. What keeps me here is the fact that God has burned a vision down on the inside of me. That faith is greater than the ignorance and the poverty and the racism and all the junk that continues to divide the people in this rich, blessed, culturally diverse, greatest food, amazing blessing in this culture. It all has to do with my perspective. Am I looking at all the junk or am I looking at what God can redeem from all that junk? It's amazing how praise and worship can lift me, raise me up, seat me in heavenly places, make me look at this place and in the middle of all of the absence of the presence of God, I can look at it and say, oh, the the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth. And I start seeing every person as an opportunity to be able to witness and build and invest the seed of God. When a congregation catches that vision and you're not just coming to get but you walk up in here with the expectation that I'm going to give God something. And you know what? Every time you come to give God something, he doesn't ever let you leave with your basket empty. He will load you up, baby. And that's it right there. His presence will come. Walk in faith. Great question. We have any more? Amen. Yeah, they're coming in. This is a great one. I think we can relate to this one. Even if I mess up all the time, can I still come back to Jesus and be forgiven over and over? Or is there a point where he just gives up on me? Um, 
I don't think God gives up. I think, you know, we all have a span. We have a space of life. There is one sin that will keep you out of heaven. One and one only. It is the sin of unbelief. If you live your whole life and you reject Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, nobody in the room can say, I am perfect. Everybody in the room is struggling in any of a number of areas, in thought, word, or deed. Now, this, this is the issue that we must realize, is that when Jesus came, he did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. As a matter of fact, he even strengthened the law because he wanted to show us, put us all on an even playing field. Jesus said, you've heard it said in your law that a man shall not commit adultery, but I say, have y'all read that? It's in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7. He said, but I say that if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with that woman in your heart. Now, it's not the same. Because I've had some young men come to me and go, well, if, if I've already lusted after her in my heart, Pastor, what, shouldn't I just go ahead and enjoy the... And I'm going, no, it's not quite the same. A sin in thought, sin is sin, yes. But when it moves from thought to word, when it moves from word to deed, and I break a vow, then I've just involved multiple people. Are you hear what I'm saying? So the consequences of that sin, every time it graduates from thought to word to deed, it takes on a greater degree of consequence. If I sinfully lust after a female and I, I let the thought remain long enough, then I've got to say, God, cleanse my mind, forgive me in Jesus' name. He will receive me right back. I, my relationship never changed. I'm still his son. It can affect my fellowship. Are you hearing me? Okay. Now, Jesus said, you've heard it said in the law, you shall not murder. He said, I tell you, you don't even need to be angry with your brother. You've heard it said in the law, you know, don't steal. I'm telling you, don't even look at something and covet it. And so what Jesus was doing, he was basically saying, look, the legalism is not strong enough. He raised the standard up above the law in order to show you that it's going to take grace for every one of us. Are you hearing me this morning? He put the lusters and the adulterers on the same ground. He put the angry and the, and the murderers on the same ground. He, he, he put the covetous and the thieves on the same ground as if to say, now let me just tell you right now that the consequences of both of those are not the same. They're different. But he's saying, look, I'm trying to get down to the root of the matter in your heart because if you can identify it when it springs up as a little bitty sprout, when the root starts to grow, if you can cut it off there, you will never produce the fruit of the big deed. If you can cut Cut it off when it's a thought. Am I helping somebody? If you can cut it off when it's a thought, when you realize you're angry before you kill somebody, then you've just conquered this thing in the thought realm. Now, it takes grace for every one of us. I I, I went a long way around that because I'm trying to help people understand that there is law and grace in both covenants. By grace now, I'm enabled to keep the righteous requirements of God's commandments. Matter of fact, 1 John 2 says, if you say you're in him and you don't keep his his commandments, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. If we keep his word, 1 John 2, 6, we should then walk as Jesus walked. Well, you know what? I was trying to show somebody the other day. I said, you know what? It's 1.30. I've been up since 6.30. I've strung six, seven hours together already, and I haven't bowed down to any gods. I haven't carved out anything that I've bowed down to. I've not cursed. It's not the Sabbath, so I'm not, no, I haven't broken that one. I've honored my father and my mother. 
I've not killed anybody. I've not committed adultery and broken the vows with my wife. I haven't stolen anything today. I have not lied. I have not looked at anybody's boat or their five-car garage house or their big car or any of this stuff and coveted it. So guess what? I've had seven hours where I haven't broken the law of God. How many of you know you guys have been so marinated in the South in a sin consciousness kind of preaching? Every Sunday they get up and just roll it all over and just throw in a little different spice. It's basically the same message every Sunday morning in the South. I don't want to offend you, but I'm telling you the truth. Come on, somebody. Is it the truth or not? You know good, you know good, baby, you know good. Well, guess what? That's what you were before the new creation. You are a new creation in Christ. You have a new nature on the inside of you. Yes, it's not about your righteousness. It's about the righteousness of God in Christ, not what you do, what he did. But guess what? I've got his garments on now. I've got his robe on now. So I don't stand up in front of him going, look at me, give me my merit badge. I'm going, I am broken, God, I need you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the whole kingdom of God. I'm nothing without you, but with you I am everything. Because you are everything. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so you start to live out of a righteousness consciousness instead of a sin consciousness. Now, before the day was out, I got ticked off at somebody and I had to say, God, forgive me. But I did get about nine hours where I was doing pretty good. (laughs) I don't think like that every day. I don't check off the list. I'm living out of the fact that I'm accepted in the beloved. I am his child. I'm not going to blow it in one area and he say, oops, sorry. Can't, Can't handle it. You're gone. Are you hearing me this morning? Jesus looked at Peter and he said, somebody offends you, you forgive them 70 times 7 in a day. Anybody ever offended you 490 times? A couple folks in this congregation have tried to offend me that many times. That was a joke, people. Are you hearing me? Uh, Yes, he will keep receiving you. Now, you know what? You've got a space to live. God's numbered your days. Teach us to number our days that we may obtain a heart of wisdom. If you live your whole life and you never do, deal with the sin of unbelief and you never do say, Jesus, save me. Yes, that's when God, that's, it's over. It's appointed unto man once to die, Hebrews 9.27. Then after that, the judgment. So in that sense, we're talking about the difference in a sinner and a believer. A sinner and a saint. Okay? Are you hearing me this morning? If you've never trusted in Christ, yeah, there's a time when God says, that's it. I've given you a whole life. You've heard the gospel. It's, you've been saturated with it and you've never taking the step to trust in him. Now, let's bump that over. You're a Christian and you've got to struggle. You can get deliverance. You may need some accountability. You may need to quit confessing it to the Lord by yourself. And you may need to get a brother or a sister that you trust. Get up in their face and go, look, I'm struggling with this. Pray with me and let's talk on a daily basis if you have to. Listen, I've counseled young guys, especially in this church, who've dealt with about every flavor of drug, cocaine, and crystal meth, counsel them in this church on, literally on a daily basis when I'd call them, how you doing? How you doing? I've got men in this congregation who've struggled with pornography habits, who sign on to Triple X Church, and it's a, a web-based site that monitors. And guess what? Every two weeks or so, I get an email that says, this brother has not looked at any questionable websites. When you really want to get victory over something, you'll take steps to get victory over it. You know what? And God will love you even if you're still struggling. He will not give up on you, but he'll keep putting ways in front of you to help you. Because let me tell you something. That 
will defeat you. It will pull you down. You can never be all that God's called you to be as long as you've got a ball and chain that you're dragging around, whatever it is. Worst thing, the worst thing you can do is leave that thing hidden in the dark because when we drag things into the light, that's when the freedom comes. I took way too long to answer that question. Is there t- we have time for one more. one more. One more. This is an awesome question here. How do you know you're following God's will when you feel strongly God is leading you in a direction, and then months or years later, you have that same feeling to go completely different direction? Did God change his mind? No, it's just a different juncture in your life. You know, God uh, may for a season have you in a place fulfilling a certain calling or destiny, And then there may be a season where there's a change, where you may actually have a different kind of, that calling is expressed in a different way. Um, See if I can think of a a particular biblical example where, I mean, just think in terms of the, the leading of the Lord in the wilderness, cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. There would be times when God would lead them to one place and they may be in that one place just overnight. Then there were other times that the, the pillar of, would lift and the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night and it would lift and it would take them to another spot in the wilderness and they would sit in that place for a year. And so God along the way takes you on a, a journey and it's not so much about the destination as it is about the journey and building the, building the relationship with him in the, as, as you go on the journey, headed to the destination. Abraham got up not knowing where he was going, but by faith, he left looking for a city. And along the way, he journeyed and went to different places, went to different spots. Um, you don't ever need to think that, that because you might change direction at the leading of the Lord that God's changed his mind because God knew before the foundation of the world all of his works from the beginning to the end. And he just destined at that point... That, that was where you were going to change. He knew all along that that was coming in your life. Okay? I hope that answers your question. Uh, this, this series is not about creating, you know, two or three things that I can do to try to conjure up God's presence. If anything, it's to, to show me how much God loves me if I will just give myself to him. And the free expression, sometimes it's, it's total quietness and it's Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. Something very powerful in my morning devotional times with a cup of coffee and the Bible. Just quiet. The house is quiet. I'm quiet. There's not a TV blaring. There are not phone calls. There are no demands. There are no deadlines yet. But I'm giving him that time. And I hear. I'm quiet enough that I can hear the still, small voice of the Spirit of the Lord. And relationship is built on a daily basis. His presence comes. He speaks to me through his word. There are other times when it's jubilation. It's, it's, man, I am literally cutting the rug. I am just, I'm beside myself. I'm overwhelmed because of the greatness and the goodness of God. And I feel like God at least deserves every bit as much as I would be giving in the World Cup or the NBA Finals or a Redbirds game or your excitement over Meeting a deadline at work, man, you can get excited and go head out and party with some folks over stuff like that. Why can't we put on the party when it comes to all of God's goodness? Look at your neighbor and say, celebrate. Good times. Come on. <laughs> I just ask you this morning as we bring this message to a close, if you would bow your heads with me, please.
great question today that asks us, does God ever give up on you? You know what? If you're a believer, absolutely not. If you've never taken that step to cross the line of faith and say, Jesus, save me, then that's when it's a concern about how long you're going to live. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me tell you something. I had a memorial service here at the church Friday night for a 52-year-old man who was one moment doing fine. The next moment, he was gone. I'm thankful to tell you that I had conversations with him over the last three or four years about his trusting Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And I, I could faithfully deliver words that would celebrate his life, that would comfort the family to say, because Marlon is absent from the body, he's present with the Lord. So this morning, to answer that question in this moment, it's not just me giving you a Bible answer, but have you answered that question in your life? Have you said, Jesus, come into my heart? I, I'm tired of running I want to put my trust in you. I can't keep doing this thing that I've been doing, struggling. Whatever your struggle is, you know what? Everybody in the room has had one. We've all come to Christ in a mess. And the folks in here who have seen God do something powerful in their lives is because they've just kept trusting him and God's taken their mess and he's made a message out of it. And so today it's very simple. None of us are good enough. His law is holy. It's perfect. His righteous standards are there for us. Whether we break them in thought, word, or deed, if we've broken one part of the law, we've broken all of it. The wages of sin is death, but the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Are you part of that us? Are you part of that us? You have to answer that question this morning. Only you can answer that. You and God. Are you part of the us? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, we shall be saved, the word of the Lord says. And so very simply, I would just say this to you in this closing moment. All you have to do is say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. You turn from your past, you turn to God in faith, and you say, Jesus, save me. God takes care of all the rest. You take one step. God runs to you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you this morning just, if you'd like to be included in this prayer, I'm about to pray. If you would just slip your hand up. Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to call you forward. not going to embarrass anybody. Anybody in the room today that would like to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. The believers in the room. Well, there was one. Okay, thank you in the back for pointing that out. Yes, thank you. I missed it. Thank you so much. We're going to pray for you. Now, all the believers in the room, you've been walking with the Lord. Every Sunday, I give you an opportunity to respond to the word. James says that we shouldn't be hearers only, but we ought to be doers. If we are doers, we are blessed in our deeds. Every time we hear a word, there should be something that stirs us to respond, to reach out to God and obtain a promise, to trust God for grace, to obey a commandment, to trust the Lord for strength, to follow an example. So, If you're a believer this morning and you've heard this word, this series, and you're just asking God for a fresh awareness of his presence, you want God to fill you with the Holy Spirit afresh today, just to reach out in faith. Maybe there's a struggle that you have as a believer. 
that you've given up on yourself will know that God's not given up on you. I just ask you right now, if you'd like to be included in the second portion of this prayer, if you would, and that applies to you, would you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, just slip up your hand right now. Anybody in the room? Yes, there's several. Thank you. Father God, we come before you in the closing moments of this service today. We thank you for the word of the Lord that's been delivered that we can celebrate because of the amazing things that Jesus Christ, our champion, has accomplished for us. Thank you, Lord, for that one who raised their hand and said, I'm ready to stop the struggle. I'm ready right now to step across that line and to give Jesus my heart and to turn from my past and to turn to Jesus. Lord, right now we agree with this one that's saying, Jesus, save me. We ask you, Lord, that you do what no man can do, only by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by the washing of the water of regeneration. Lord, you come and you wash that person's heart and life. In Jesus' name. Lord, for the believers who each raised their hand around the room this morning, Lord, struggling with things that nobody else knows about, God, thank you that you know our struggles and you still love us. You never give up on us. Lead us, God, in ways to help us get deliverance from our addictions. Lord, whether it's drugs or alcohol or pornography, Lord, or any of a number of other things, Lord, that can grip the people of God and hold them in captivity. Thank you that you did not come for us to be in bondage, but for freedom you have made us free in Christ. I lift up these and I ask you, O God, to do a work of the Spirit. Fill us fresh. Let your presence be poured out upon us. We don't want to be religious people going through all the motions. Lord, and have all the outward look of the tabernacle, all the religious language. We can speak Christianese, but not even have the ark, Christ, in our hearts. Fill us today with your Holy Spirit afresh, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, all of God's people said.